Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast, discussing all things audiobooks with the authors that write the stories and the narrators that perform them. Brought to you by Viviana, Enchantress of Books. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 35 of this Audiobook Lovin' Podcast. Today, I am chatting with narrator Megan Kelly. Megan, thank you for being here and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Me too. So why don't we start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been narrating and how you got started. Um, I've been narrating audiobooks for 10 years now, and I have over 500 titles under my belt, although some of those are under a different name. I got started in audiobooks. Basically, I was on the other side of the business for a number of years. I was a talent agent and casting director in film, television, and radio for a franchised talent agency here in Michigan. And I also worked at one in New York City. And I had enough clients over the years, especially for voiceover um, auditions, ask if I could audition for things. And it just kind of stuck in my head. So once I got burnt out of that job, I got into voiceover work. I gave myself a couple years to see if I could do it. And I did do a lot of commercials and industrials and web materials, but then I've always been a voracious reader. So I started looking around for audiobook opportunities. And of course, I got totally scammed on my first two books by, um, I think I found them on like independent websites or something like that. Never made money, but I didn't know what I was doing. I I mean, I'm horrified at, at those first two books, but they were listed under a different spelling of my name. So in hindsight, it's a blessing because I finally kind of started figuring out what I was doing and I found ACX and that's where it started. Mm-hmm. I just, I started and I never went back to my previous jobs. Although I was still singing at that time. I was a singer on the weekends. Oh, wow. Okay. So you were comfortable already in front of the mic. Very much so. I was I was that theater girl in high school. And I, I studied theater in college. And then I was a opera. Well, I competed in opera for a number of years, which I don't know why. Because I was it was not my forte. But I did. But I got very comfortable with a microphone. Put me in front of a camera and I'm a nervous wreck. But a microphone, I'm pretty comfortable with. It's interesting how it's just a different comfort level, right? Because I'm the same way. I'm like, I'm in front of, I'm in, I'm in front of the mic. I am fine. No worries. Not gonna have the same reaction if I'm in front of a camera. <laughs> Nerve wracking because you're like, are they looking at this or what are they thinking about that? But when it's just your voice, I mean, it's, I don't for me anyway. It's just much more comfortable, and I love creating characters and and just getting to perform. I mean, it fulfills something that was a dream of mine since I was a little kid. And I mean, basically the whole reason why I went into my first career was because I didn't think I was good enough. So this has changed my mind. I'm definitely good enough, but it's, uh, I just never thought I'd be able to perform again after those first couple of years in college when I got, you know, beaten down with the reality that it's not as easy as it was in high school. And this is just really, it makes me happy. It's my joy. I love this job. Yeah. And that's awesome too, that you give yourself the props that you are good enough. Recently, there was a whole thing on TikTok um, that was going through my feed about performers, specifically in this case, it was a narrator, uh, you know, kind of starting off in their career and wondering if they were enough, if they were good enough to continue with this. 
And of course the comments were great and very supportive. And, you know, you're doing enough is one of the things that kind of stood out to me in the comments was that you're doing enough based on the level of skill sets and performance that you're at the moment. There's always going to be times where you're going to get better, better with time, with practice, with coaching. By the time you're, you're good enough. So the fact that you're like, yeah, I'm good enough. I was like, yeah, girl, you, you tell them. (laughs) Well, it's been a process. I mean, everybody, every performer questions themselves because we get told no more than we get told yes. And we don't get, we don't, we're not, unless you're like that top upper tier of narrators. I mean, I work for a living. I make my living at this, but it's not like I'm being handed awards. It's not like people know my name. Some do. I've been around long enough, but so it's, you kind of always wonder, you send these auditions off into the ether and you wonder like, do I suck? (laughs) Did I suddenly get bad? Oh no, no, no. You know, I'm good. I'm good. I know I'm good. I wouldn't have worked as consistently as I have for as long as I have if I didn't have some talent. But you can't help but question yourself in the arts. And I feel for every new narrator because everybody thinks, oh, this will be easy. This will be fun, just like I did. When the reality is there is a huge learning curve and you do continue to learn throughout the entire process of your career. I'm still coaching. I'm still learning new things. I'm still hoping to get noticed, you know, everybody mm-hmm. is, but can't beat it as far as a career goes, work from home, get to read books all day. Uh, <laughs> love it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is a nice gig. I have to say, if you can get it sure. and you do your due diligence to do the work behind it, to be able to get the jobs and get cast correctly. It's a sweet gig. It is mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. And I don't think, I mean, definitely at first, but as you continue with the number of years that you've been in in this industry now doing books, the question of, you know, getting more jobs isn't so much anymore about if you're good enough, but there's also a huge line of people now. There's, I mean, this industry has completely like busted open in the past couple of years. And so where there were only a handful, now there's gazillions and everyone's different and bringing something different to the table. And so there's a lot. I I recently had a a publishing house tell me it was not me or my abilities. It's just that the pool of fresh talent was so huge. And I'm like, this is somebody I worked for for years. And I I was just so crushed that I was like, is it me? Have I done something? Have I offended you? And he's just like, nope. It's just the pool of fresh talent is so great. I, I have a bevy of choices. And I was like, oh, how about some, you know, loyalty? <laughs> yeah. Well, the good thing but about it, is, it, it is. Yeah. But also the fact is, you know, you want to get cast in the right role and for the right voices. And it could be that you were a perfect fit and the other person was a perfect fit and they might want to try something new, right? As far as fresh blood. But at the end of the day, there's also someone else that's going to love you. It's going to love how you perform that, you know, audition. It's going to be like, yes, Megan, we want Megan. And you just continue to move forward. Um, freelancing is fun and great. And, and, but it's also hard for that perspective. I'm a hustler. So yeah, I've good. got that in my corner. I work my tail off and I'm, I'm not, I'm not the kind of narrator that has to only work for publishers. I love indie authors. I, I have, 
if there's an avenue, I'm going to take it. I like working. I like staying busy. So I work for indie authors. I'm open to royalty share. I'm open to pre-finished hour. I love working for my publishers. But I have some relationships with some of my authors that I've been working with for like years. And it's great. So it's for me, I just want to make sure my calendar's full and I'm I'm staying busy and I'm doing stuff I like. Yeah, the indie author arena is fantastic too because there's so many of them and they're they're itching to get their titles in audio and there's so many things out there so finding also a reliable narrator that knows the business that isn't going to fuck them over <laughs> uh, is really important so i know a lot of indie authors listen to this podcast to find those narrators just to know that hey this is someone that's been around for a while and it's not going to screw me over so it's always great to have those conversations. Yeah, I, I always like to say with when I'm working with um, authors new to audiobooks that I'm going to make this process as easy and seamless as possible. I've been around. I understand the business. I, I have best practices. I'm happy to share whatever knowledge I have. I'm happy to promote. I, I mean, this is a partnership. That's the way I look at it. So as, as long as we're both doing our due diligence to get our work out there, it's a great relationship. And I'm, I love working with new authors, especially on material that's just fun. Yeah. So when it comes down to having you be a narrator and it isn't in it's an indie situation where it's not through a publishing house, are you also the producer and you do you also edit or do you have a team that you kind of go with to do some of those post-productions? Um, that way, you My know team consists of one other, and that is my best friend, who is also my proofer. She's been proofing for me for five years now. Um, I trust her implicitly. Plus we have our own little book club, obviously. <laughs> but um, I, do, I do all the production. I do my own editing and mastering. I do, I, it's the way I learned my previous career. Um, I, when I was running audition, they I was forced to learn how to use Pro Tools, which I didn't realize was going to be so huge in my life later. But it was really helpful that I already kind of had some editing skills under my belt when I started doing this. So I, I mean, I used an editor for a couple of years and then I was like, why am I paying someone to do what I can do myself? So I stopped and then I just, uh, I, you have to have a proofer, at least I do, because I am the queen of flip-flopping words and it's just like two words in a sentence will be flip-flopped or I will, my brain just goes somewhere and I'll say sofa instead of couch. I don't know why it just happens. And some of them are funny, just, you know, total mispronunciations of words that I know how to say, but yet your brain is so, I mean, it's going in six different directions because you're trying to do pull this performance out and be, you know, amazing in that front. And then you're trying to remember the voice that you used for this character. And then you're also trying to read what's on the page. And you're also trying to breathe. I mean, there's so many aspects of it. That and not make any noise while you're trying to breathe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and sitting there. I learned early on that, that soft cotton is your friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't wear anything but soft cotton. Yeah. But a lot of authors, you know, that may not know that a lot of times that the narrator themselves can be the productions, you know, person as well and does the whole editing and things like that. So I think that's also part of the conversation that we need to be having is not only are they the voice, but they can also do the editing and also in this case, now the proofing for you as well. Um, so you get an entire team of sorts when you have a narrator that does it as well. 
Right. It, I mean, mm -hmm. that, it also slows down my, like when people are um, sharing their, um, how long it takes them to do a, for a one finished hour of audio because I am doing all this other stuff. So I'm still at the three to four hour, three to four hours for one finished hour of audio, but that's because that's including prep, recording, editing, proofing. I mean, I do a little bit of proofing myself and then mastering. It's a whole process, but anybody that works with me knows that I am a hard worker. You can count on me. If I say you're gonna get it on thus and such date, I think I've missed, um, a due date maybe three times in 10 years. I do, I, 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 I finish early, if anything. I always pad my my jobs so that I have a few days just in case, because the world happens, and Lord knows. But I like to be reliable. I like to be easy to work with. It's just, for me, it's worked well for my little business. I have returned customers, and I'm proud <laughs> of that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what counts. And also the finished product is a great quality. And that's very important for the authors. I have not had any complaints, knock wood. I think I'm good at what I do. Yeah, well, I mean, there's just, there's so many things that happen to a book. It's not just reading a lot. I think a lot of folks are not realizing that it's not just reading the words on the page, you have to provide the performance and then the different characters, having them to have the different tones and cadence so they can, you know, the listeners can differentiate between them when they're listening because sometimes the authors remove the tags or, you know, or they'll say so-and-so and you're like, oh, okay, so who was that again? While we're reading a book, we can flip back the pages to figure out where we were to just, instead of losing right. ourselves. You can't do that so much with audio. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot harder. Yeah. You mentioned about loving reading and the books and stuff like that. What are some of your favorite genres to narrate in? Um, I love... Uh, romantic comedies and I love cozy mysteries and I do a lot of them because I, I really search people out to make sure that I have them on my calendar I like being funny it's fun and where I don't I don't mind doing dark romance and I don't mind doing a little sci-fi but for my own personal happiness I need to be able to you know be funny I think I'm funny my husband thinks I'm funny so it being that snarky, sassy leading lady fits me pretty well. And I get I get a fair amount of I do a lot of cozy mysteries and I get a fair amount of uh, romantic comedies and I, it just makes me happy. Those are my two favorite genres. Yeah. So when it comes down to the cozy mystery side of things, tell us a little bit more about that genre specifically um, as it, you know, as it comes down to a genre, because a lot of times people think thrillers and, you know, romantic suspense or it's just, you know, that, but cozy mystery, sometimes people are like going, what exactly is that? Um, cozy mysteries tend to be um, a more lighthearted fade to black romance. I don't know if that makes sense, but like you, you don't get the, the sex scenes or the heavy petting or anything like that. It's just fade to black if there's a romance involved, but it's always solving a mystery they can be paranormal, they can be fantastical, they can be um, quirky, real life, but they tend to be lighter, softer mysteries. But I gotta tell you, I did a, um, a couple psychological thrillers recently and that was so much fun. I haven't gotten to get down and dirty with twisted characters in a while, so that's fun too. But for me, the cozy mysteries, they usually have a, a, a fantasticalness about them, um, fantasy, I do a lot of um, 
a lot of my cozies are paranormal where there's just all kinds of creatures, whether there's vampires or werewolves or witches or pixies or oh my. nymphs. I mean, it's just, it's so much fun to like go into these fantasy lands of fantasy characters and just, I mean, have fun with it. I'm, I'm passionate about like my vampires and my, where my shifters. I love that stuff. Me too. I'm a huge paranormal romance. I hope that somewhat answered the question for what cozies are. No, absolutely. And it's great that you were mentioning because sometimes when people think of cozy mysteries, they're automatically thinking on the contemporary side, not really thinking that it could be a paranormal on the cozy mystery. Oh, a lot of them. Yeah. A lot of them. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite newer series that I've been working on is the um, silver crystal. Hang on. Let me pull it up because I, don't have it in front of me but it's one of my favorite that's sad i can't think of it right now i do so many though um they are the silver circle cat rescue mysteries and basically this series is they have a a um a magical platter in which the cats can sit on and they can speak so for me being a cat person i i love i mean i speak for my cats every day whether my husband likes it or not being able to voice a bunch of critters and they've started bringing in dogs. Um, you know, Pepe, who is this a little chihuahua? Yeah, I mean, it's so much fun to do that stuff, to voice these characters that have never had voices. So that's one of my favorite new series, Leanne Leeds. Lovely, lovely lady who writes these great books. I'm going to pick that up. I, as a cat owner and a dog owner, I can also envision the cats busting out with if we need to find them a different platter for the dogs because we're not going to share. Uh. Oh, they totally, <laughs> that's totally part of part of this series. The See? first book, I, I, was, I was so charmed. Um, the first book was called uh, Crystals, Belladonna, and Murder. And I, this, I, I didn't I didn't know how much this book was going to take off, but I was very, very lucky to get my first in several years audiophile review, but they just wrote the most amazing things. And then I also won an award for that book um, from audio audiophile reviewer. And then this, just this last week, the audiophile magazine came out and lo and behold, I got my first review for this book in the hard copy of the magazine. I was just over the moon. I'm like, I've been doing this for 10 years and I've never gotten. <laughs> so other people are enjoying this series too. The talking cat and Belladonna is, uh, she's the ongoing cat character throughout the book is a haughty English black cat who thinks that she is the ruler of this roost. It's very fun. Yeah. <laughs> very, very fun. Yeah. I mean, it's always great when our, the work that you do and also that of the, of the author is recognized with awards. And it's just really nice to kind of see those little moments of like, woohoo. But yeah, that definitely does sound like a fun, fun series to, to get into. I'm going to pick it up. There's always a mystery in there too, but um, just the talking cat aspect of it. And her covers are gorgeous. I know Leanne does them herself. And I just, I mean, that was t totally what drew me to the series. And I went after her. And she's an indie author. And she's thought, because these um, 
these are not per finished star, they're a royalty share plus situation. And she thought because of my uh, resume that I would, I, I would be, I wouldn't accept her offer. And I was, I went after her and I was like, uh-uh, I want this series. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not too fancy or whatever she was thinking. I 100% want to work on them. And she's, we've established such a great relationship. She literally just um, yesterday offered me a second series, which oh. I'm thrilled to work on as well because I love her writing. That's great. Congrats. Yeah, well, that's good. That's good being busy. And also now with the, the Sultry Listeners Awards also includes a cozy mystery uh, category. So I'm, I'm hoping people are going to nominate it for the Sultry Listeners Fingers Awards. <laughs> I've been lucky enough to win tw- three times, three or four times. Yeah. Sultry Listeners. So I, 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 I love, I love the Sultry Listeners. I, I, I yeah, I would love involved again but i can't nominate myself much as i'd like to <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing wrong with self-nominations i you know here's the thing when it comes down to things like this i'm a huge proponent of knowing your self-worth and if you are proud of a title that you've worked on and you want to nominate it by all means nominate it there's nothing wrong with that so if anyone you know, else is listening said, that makes sense because even for for the big awards, I know it's uh, a lot of people self-submit. I mean, just to be considered to be nominated. Yeah. So it makes sense. You're right. Yeah. I mean, the Audis and the and the Sovas, they all have to be submitted. And it can be done by the publishing house. It can be done by the author. It can be done by the narrators. I mean, it's just they don't care who nominates them as long as it fits within the the the, the window of time frame that they're specifying. It fits in the category that you're nominating it in, and it goes into the file, right? Same thing with the sultry listeners. As long yep. as it's the, the timeline and the dates that are being published and it goes into the right category, you're all good. And if you're proud of the work, why not? I will share the knowledge, lady. <laughs> yeah. Amongst um, my peers. Yeah. Well, you're but you were busting out with a couple of accents there. What are some of your favorite accents to perform? Um, I do like doing a british accent um southern hispanic there's not many accents i don't i try to stay away from french just because it makes me nervous but i've always been one to to that's kind of how i knew i might be good at this frankly was when i was a kid i used to play a game where i'd have my friends i don't know why i was such a precocious young thing but i'd be like throw an accent at me or throw a situation and I will voice it. It was, it's odd that I just literally did that as a kid and I've always been a, a mimic. So when I hear an interesting voice on TV or, or character, I try to do the accent or the voice and I try to remember them for books because I like distinctive characters, but I, I do a bevy of accents. Um, none of them except uh southern new york and canadian outside of you know general american midwest i won't do it as a um lead character first person for a book but secondary i love all of them i love doing a myriad of of accents because it's just fun yeah we also question with the with the secondary and these other characters sometimes you're going, yeah, they're secondary. Let's give them this accent and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden they're like, book five, they're the main characters. How do you handle Ugh. such situa- <laughs> situations? That's true. I had one situation like that where um, 
It was a great book from a great publisher and the male leading character, it was a dual POV and the male uh, lead POV, his best friend was Scottish. And I was like, no problem. So I took the book. Um, my character was American. The lead character male was American. His best friend was Scottish. And never in a million years did I think that the book two would be the lead being the male's best friend because they almost always seem to follow the female friendships. And that so the next book would be her best. No, it was his. And I just, Scottish is hard. That one, ooh, I, I must admit, I was very intimidated. And I actually, that was the only time I think I've ever turned down a publishing book is just, well, that and they asked me to do two books at the exact same time and I couldn't. But um, yeah, that was that was intimidating. And I just didn't feel like justice. So you ended up turning it down. I did. Well, they, like I said, they, ironically, they offered me two books for the exact same window, which I, so I couldn't do both anyway, unless they were willing to change those. But it, yeah, it, for the most part, I can handle heavy accents. Scottish is one I, I, I shy away from and French. And I'm sure there's something else, but <laughs> Well, here's the thing. And the reason why I was, you know, I had asked that too, is because you guys are allowed to turn down books and you guys are allowed to, to, and be honest. And it, and I think it's necessary to be honest with your clients, whether they're in the authors or they're the publishing house, right. To say, Hey, I may not be the best fit mm -hmm. because my accent for that character in that accent, you know, arena is not the best. And I would much rather have you guys be honest about that than get a book and go, girl, Mm -mm. <laughs> in my review you know i'm terrible at this yeah oh 100 i i don't like turning down work ever i will i would if i feel i can do it justice i'll do it but that that was a situation where i just didn't feel i could i could do as good a job as somebody else could it was such a strange situation well i mean it's it's like you said usually it follows a female's best friend but even sometimes they could skip a couple of books down it could have been book seven and it would have been the, you know the highlander it's scottish <laughs> lead and you're going crap it seems with most like at least romantic comedy series they don't seem to go beyond three or five like my cozy mysteries are well into the 10, 12, 15, you know, they go on and on. But the romantic comedies, they don't seem to, or the romances don't seem to to, to go too far, at least in my experience, not too many in the series. Yeah, well, I think what they've been doing is it's instead of it, they're, yes, they're part of a series, but they can be read as standalones. They're in the same exact world. And that's where they can kind of, it might be book six or seven in the, in, in the series, but it doesn't really matter because you can read them as standalone. So that's, I think, right. where a lot of the books are kind of in that arena there. But it's, it's you know, it's, it's good to know that it's, I think for listeners that it's okay if a narrator, you know, may not be the perfect fit instead of forcing the situation. It's good to say, hey, no, you know what? So-and-so is much better at it. Let's go ask him if he that can is, do it. <laughs> that is one thing I always try to do is if I, if I don't think I'm appropriate for something, I will always try to suggest somebody who I think is. And I've helped quite a few people because I have this casting background. I, and I, I keep track of everybody. I, you know, I'm always curious about new people and I listen to samples and I try to remember people if, cause I've cast several books myself. I try to keep 
you know, my finger on the pulse of what's going on out there. I also recently started a mentoring business. Not that I'm taking on a lot of clients, but a few here and there, because I mean, I'm not willing anymore to just share everything. It's taken me 10 years to learn, but I can help people who are starting out, who are looking to learn more about the industry and best practices and who to talk to. And the people that I've worked with, I'm able to refer them to other people or I can think of that, you know, it's just, it all, all my careers are interconnecting and it's really a beautiful thing. And I love watching the people that I've mentored just take off and fly. And most of them are, it's really awesome. Cause this is not, it's not an easy thing to get into. You think it's going to be until you start. And then there's so many aspects of the business. So I go, but there's also so much information out there that it's very hard to differentiate to what's true and what's not and what's the best and versus that's not maybe the best advice. And so it's really nice to have individuals that are doing coaching and doing mentoring and are able to validate that these are actual information that is valid and true to the times versus some, you know, scams that are out there that because they exist, I'm sad to say. Or other people that have just started two days ago decide to start doing coaching. And I'm like, dude, you started two days ago and you have no background. (laughs) No. Um, I always always advise people who are newer to the industry to, you know, check your sources. Go to Audible. See how many books they've done. If they've only done 10 or 5, probably not the best person to take advice from. But I got a solid, I mean, under my um, name, I just passed 450 which I'm very proud of. I mean, that's a lot of hard work. That's a lot of hours in that small booth behind me. Um, So, I mean, and my background with casting and talent agent, I I bring a lot to the table. So I'm happy to, I'm happy to help people, but I'm just not willing to do it for, Hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? No, it's, I'm sorry. It, It wouldn't fit in one conversation anyway. Right. But but it's also knowing your worth and knowing that the time that you're putting behind it to have these conversation is val- is time that you're now not spending in the booth recording, which is a paid gig, but also not time that you're spending with your husband that you actually still like and want to spend time with and doing hanging out <laughs> with your dogs and doing anything else that is of what you want to do. And there is nothing wrong with creating a business based on your skills and knowledge. So it's also the girl that does consulting work now because the amount of times that I have been at a conference Um, or I've done panels or I've done this, you know, like the podcast. And I've had people say, Hey, can you stay afterwards for a little bit? I have a couple of questions and I'm going, sure, not a problem. And it really isn't. And I don't, I'm, I'm such the girl that will help you. I will help you hide the body if you come at me the right way, just saying, but (laughs) at the same time, I got bills to pay. And these are times that, you know, I, the amount, I mean, I've the skills that I've developed in the years that I've been in this industry and the wealth of knowledge Mm -hmm. is just such a variety of things that I can assist with that it's, you know, there's the same way that you're willing to pay someone to do your book cover and someone to do your, your formatting. And then the narrators and things like that. These are skill sets that we all have acquired in the years that we've been in here that are worth the cost that, and you'll be so much better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm pushing your business because I'm thrilled. You are finally up and running because sometimes I just want to be a narrator. Yeah. And I would like, somebody who is knowledgeable who understands the business to take that aspect of it uh, I mean I'm happy 
to help my my authors where I can, but sometimes it gets a, to be a little much where it's like, you're hiring me to be a narrator, not to teach you the whole industry. I don't mind, I mentor um, so far just narrators, but for an author, I think they're much better served going to someone who, like you who has the whole industry understanding. I mean, you have people that you can refer all over the place, not to mention the the, the things that you offer to do yourself. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, I'm pushing your business. 100%. Thanks. Yeah, I know a guy. <laughs> but I'm like you. Like, I mean, I've done so many different things from book covers to marketing to, you know, the admin side of things and being an assistant that there's that, you know, I know a lot, but there's also like, where do I have the most fun? Because it's it's work and I want to have fun while I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And so, hey, you want to talk about book covers? I can help guide your thinking and figure out stuff like that. But I also know a girl that's going to, that I totally recommend to have them do your book cover versus myself. Because while I still have fun with it, I'm like, you know, someone, and that's okay. Um, And and that's perfect. And and it's true. I think that we need to understand that, you know, just like the authors are providing a product with their books that they need to get paid for it. And we're hoping to continue to have more strides in what the amount that they're getting paid for because you know distribution costs and all this fun stuff that i'm not going to get into right now uh is you know needs to be talked about but where so many other things too that the graphic designers that have spent years doing the 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 enhancing their skill sets and are doing their thing and the photographers that are taking the, the time to learn about the craft and so on and so forth and you know right now with this whole conversation with ai is happening and how good it's gotten. And it's great that it's it's out there for certain things. I mean, if it can provide the translation uh, for medical journals and things like that, or, you know, or while you're in the hospital and stuff like that, or, you know, at a HR program that you're having to listen to for the fifth time this year about safety and all this fun stuff. Great. Would I rather listen to you do it? Absolutely. <laughs> it would be a much better use of my I time. Think the, more, the, more we, the more that we support the other people, People in our industry, the more we keep it human within our industry. So that's why I'm always happy to, if, I, if I'm not proficient at something, then I'd rather refer another human <laughs> who is more proficient than I am, because I want to keep building up all the people that I work with and that I respect and love to keep doing this so that a computer doesn't take over our jobs. I don't think it's going to happen immediately. I see it seeping in, but as long as like, People are passionate about keeping it in the, at least our industry in the made from the human realm. Yeah. I think we're good, but yeah. we do have to continue to support. Oh, absolutely. And not there's the way that the performance that the narrators do for these audiobooks conveying that human emotion, whether it's the, the witty banter when they're just having it at each other and they're going, are you fucking serious? Let me tell you something or the steamy scenes or the, <laughs> Figuring out who done it and being, I am in the closet because the guy that did it is out there. I mean, there's no way that that human emotion can ever be truly conveyed by an artificial intelligence. And this is where we need to just continue to support our creators, the authors and the narrators and, and that are focused on real human voices for it because they're not, it's, it's not going to be the same. It's just not the same. Frankly, like human proofers as well, because yes. it's, it, I know Positron is helpful, but I would rather have another human listen to my performance and let me know. Like I had a recent um, situation where 
I have a series that's set down in New Orleans. I do not live in New Orleans. I don't know if you've been or heard, but New Orleans has some really messed up street and street names and pronunciations of their street names. Yep. And I, <laughs> it's hard sometimes because you think you're saying it right, but you're not. My human proofer, when I have her, um, always catches me. But this one time, I um, she wasn't available, and I had to use um, Positron. And I came back. My author was so upset because this is only two circumstances. One street, uh, it was, uh, I pronounced it Conti, C-O-N-T-I, and it's supposed to be Conti. I mean, who would have thought? And the other one was, so for years being from Michigan, I thought it was New Orleans. I don't know why, but I did. But the state is actually, or the city is actually New Orleans. So when when the street name of street name came up, um, it's actually Orleans Street. But I said Orleans Street because I assumed it was the same as the city. It's not. And she had uh, a couple listeners get back to her just upset that I was uh, that I said these names wrong. And I was like, I did? I had no idea. And it took a second listening, going through and having somebody find my mistakes. But without a human listening, Positron didn't pick any of that up because I'm still saying it correctly according to the AI, you know, intelligence. Mm-hmm. Well, look at how upset we get when our autocorrects changes fuck to duck. Yes, <laughs> or I'm uh, there. There is it. There going over there, and in a complete sentence, mm-hmm. it can pick up sometimes. But there's so many times where I'm having like, why is this highlighted, and it's not as if it's wrong when I know it isn't, or the other way around. Like, why wasn't this highlighted that it was an error when I had the wrong version of the word? And it's because again, it's it's computer generated. So many publishing houses are now like strictly using Positron. And it's like, we need those human ears before we put it out for the world to hear because human ears are going to listen to it. Eventually human ears should be making sure that it sounds good before it gets out there. Mm -hmm. Well, I think with any big company, when you have um, a fortune 500 and large companies, they're going to always try to cut costs and it's usually Mm -hmm. at things like this. And, you know, I understand the thought process behind it, you know, saving money, hopefully making, you know, spending it somewhere else or unfortunately goes to the executives. I would prefer a, you know, um, um, a pay increase to the workers. But I think that it, when it comes down to it, when the listeners do get it, is providing that feedback in a review or send, or if we know that it's, you know, Penguin Random House or if it's, she's, you know, fill in the blank who the publisher is. And saying, hey, these have been the incorrect stuff. Now, be nice about it. Don't go busting out and, you know, dinging the narrator, the, the narrator for saying it's so wrong or the author and how dare they and wish them to unalive themselves because they said the word wrong, because unfortunately that's happened. But providing the it feedback happened. will let the production companies and the pr- publishers and these, you know, these companies know that, hey, you may not want to use the software because we keep you know hearing these errors in it. Um and then the only way that they're going to know and, and change things is if people complain about it and make it into a bigger fuss. That it's, it's mortifying true. as a narrator yeah. to know you made mistakes like that. I was mortified that this author had to come to me and tell me that 
because I know how to say New Orleans now because she was under the impression that I said the city name wrong. And I'm like, there's no way. But the street name, having having the same word be said two different ways, it's it's confusing. Well, so at least it was in Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's like I mean, they, they even have a postcard with the different pronunciations of Louisville and Louisville. Right. And all this other fun stuff. Oh, and there's, there's, that's another one in um, New Orleans. They have the um, St. Louis number one and number two cemeteries, but then there's St. Louis street. Both are spelled the same, but both are expected to be pronounced differently. And I think, I'm, I think I'm human. <laughs> Sometimes I say the wrong thing. But I need I need a human to to hear it to to tell me because like the AI just doesn't get it. Okay, enough about AI. Let's talk about something. <laughs> well, I know it's been going. It's a it's an important conversation, and I think uh, it needs to be had. But you're right. It's it's we're humans, and it's okay to mess, you know, to to make mistakes. And it's just you know, and as reviewers, we want to listen to some of that feedback and just just provide it nicely. As something else too that I always reiterate about there's a way to provide feedback and review just do it nicely please you don't have to be mean about it so aside from the you know having a favorite accent and loving on these genres usually there's a specific kind of scene I mentioned you know the the, the when they're bantering and stuff like that what's your favorite scene to perform definitely the um snarky banter between I mean characters it, it's mm-hmm. just uh, I love of being able to throw some snark out there and get a giggle out of people. When I ha- get the feedback from listeners that I made them crack up or they were crying, they were laughing so hard. That is like, you've just given me the magic dust. It is. I, I love, I love fun, snarky banter. That's my favorite. Those are my favorite scenes. Yeah. I did one recently and I'm using it as a sample <laughs> just nice. because I had, in 10 years and 500 books, this was a character I had never played before. And it was a scene between a guy and his penis. His penis was talking to him. <laughs> and it was hysterical. And I had so much fun with it. Because, like I said, 10 years, 500 books, never played a penis before. It was hilarious. <laughs> it's basically his, his, the penis trying to talk the guy into doing something he knows he shouldn't do. But it so it went from, you know, I can't do that. I, I really couldn't. I, I could never treat her that. You might like it. You really might. Maybe you should. You know, it, it's just that that fun banter, that extreme that, you know, on some level ha- must happen with guys. I've never gotten to play play that before. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I know sometimes we use it. Oh, he's such a penis because of behaviors as far as being just a dickhead. Uh, but you're talking literally about being a penis. It's just yeah, that role does not happen often. I don't think <laughs> so. It's good that you got that you had some fun with it. <laughs> it was a blast. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look into that one too. Just for fun, just to hear that scene and how that went. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have it on my website. I'm on sample. Just for fun, because like I said, it, 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 it still cracks me up when I listen to it. And also my um, mentoring business is on my um, website now, too, if there's anybody that's interested. No, that's perfect. MegyKelly.org. Is there a, a genre that you have yet to narrate in that you'd like to? Um, I have done a lot of books. I don't work in nonfiction. Um, it's just not my 
my jam. I'm I'm a fiction girl, but I am interested in um, memoirs and biographies. I've never gotten to do that. I'd be interested in tackling that. But uh, nonfiction, not not for me. And uh, other than that, I've 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 worked in just about every genre that I can think of, anyway. And I like them all. Good. I'm glad. I know sometimes we get not stuck, but we just kind of do the same things in the same genres over and over again. And they're like, I would love to do it and fill in the blank. So it's, I'm glad that you've been able to kind of do all the ones that you've wanted to. I try to chase after what I want to work on. I have no qualms about approaching an author and, you know, seeing if they'd be interested in working with me. And I don't take offense if they don't or they can't afford it yet or whatever the situation. But you have to, I mean, I'm a hustler. Like I said, you have to go after these things. I, I try not to be obnoxious or rude to anybody, but I, I want them to remember from me. And the way I do that is by just merely saying what I said before, that I try to make it an easy and seamless situation for for whether I'm working for a publisher or um, an author. And with publishers, I, I my job, I look at it as my job is to make their job easier and as a former casting person, I know how inundated you get um, from emails and people just trying to get work from you. So it's finding that balance where you've got to be just enough in their face so they don't forget about you without being obnoxious and overwhelming. And it's a delicate balance because so you, you got to step back. But if you want the work and you have to be specific, ask for what you want to work for. I've straight up said it's been a long time since I did a psychological thriller. I'd really love to sink my teeth into that. And lo and behold, a couple months later, I got a psychological thriller. It was awesome. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with asking and putting yourself out there. Worst case scenario is a no. You'll get a no. And that's not the end yeah, of the deal. Plenty of those like used to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of the things I love to do with my guests is play the game of two truths and a lie, where you tell us three things about yourself and we try to figure out which one's a lie. So if you're ready. Okay. All right. So what are your three things? Um, in my former career, I actually helped start Kristen Bell and Keegan-Michael Key's careers. Um, I became a grandmother at 41, but I never had kids. And I was a rock singer in rock bands for 15 years. Okay. These are all very good. <laughs> and it's all in the details. Um, all in the details. Okay, so let's see. Start the career of Kristen Bell. And sorry, I forgot his name that you said. Keegan um, Michael Key. Yeah, him. They're both Michigan actors. They started in Michigan. Okay, cool. Then you became a grandmother, um, but don't have any not, with no kids. And that you've been a rock star singer in a rock band. So which one's the lie? Hmm. Shoot. Um is the Did I get you? Yeah, you did. Because <laughs> it's all, for me, it's all in the details, you know. It's just one of those things where all of these are very possible based on what you've shared with us and what I've known as well. And so let's see. Hmm. Is the lie that you helped uh Kristen start the career? It is. Okay. I, I actually, um, my agency that I work for did start both of their careers, but I wasn't working there yet. Mm. However, I have helped some people 
that are names today um, in their start. And I'm so incredibly proud of them. And they're not big names, but they're getting there. Both of these gentlemen, um, I booked them in their first commercials. Um, their names are Sam Richardson and Tim Robinson. Sam Richardson started getting pretty big when he, he was uh, working with Julia Louise Dreyfus and her political sitcom. I forget what it's called, but um, Sam just uh, did a stint on Ted Lasso. I mean, it, it, he just got nominated for his second Emmy. Nice. And Tim Robinson has his own sketch comedy series on Netflix. And wow. I remember these guys when they came into my office at 20 something and I booked them in their first commercial. So it's just so cool to watch like some of my former talent just take off into the stratosphere. Very satisfying. Yeah. I know that feeling. It's always great when you're like, I used to know them before they got big or when they just first started recording mm -hmm. audiobooks. It's so nice. Such a nice feeling. But yeah, so tell us a little bit about like, if you can or want to, about being a grandma with no kids. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, when I married my husband, I, I was single. I was busy being a rock star because that part was true too. I was uh, in my 30s. I was, um, I was doing audiobooks, but I was also rocking out on the weekends, singing in bands. And I dated a lot, but I didn't meet my husband um, until later on. And he started his family very young. We're the same age, but he had his first when he was 18 and his second when he was 21. So his kids were adults by the time I got to him and his eldest had her first baby when I was 41. So all of a sudden I was a grandma, or as I like to say, Mima. <laughs> I'm Mima. I'm way too cool to be grandma. <laughs> um, but it, it threw me because I'd never had kids myself and suddenly I have grandbabies. And I'm 41. It was insane, but it's absolutely. I mean, I I always wanted kids. I wished I had kids, but being to be getting to be a Mima and be a young Mima and being a part of their lives is just the most fun I've I've ever had because I love them. They love me. They don't they don't realize that I'm not a blood relative. They just love me. My stepdaughters are freaking awesome as well, and. They get to go home. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that. I can spoil them like crazy and send them home. Yeah, I was going to say, I go, there is, there's a couple of perks about being able to have a great, being a grandma and not being the parents. Um, and you get to return them. <laughs> the biggest one. <laughs> but it really did throw me like for a minute, a minute because I was like, wait a second, I'm, I'm barely 40 and I'm a grandmother and I didn't have kids. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I've had a couple of friends get thrown too. Like once friends that I was like when when we were in high school, they're like, When did you have a kid? And I'm like, Well, I had a kid, but you know, I got them when they were like 12 because <laughs> we adopted. <laughs> um, but still mine. Lord knows they're mine because they're sarcastic. Oh god, the they're so sarcastic in some cases. I'm like, you're just like me. And then they love their coffee just like their dad. <laughs> so and and they're gonna be 21 in October. So it's like wow, okay. Soon enough. <laughs> One day I'll I'm be just so too. grateful to, to have them. I'm so grateful to have the family that I didn't didn't think I was ever gonna get. Husband is amazing too. So I'm very lucky I found him because I searched. <laughs> Finding the right person is hard. 
it's hard. And then being able to stay mm -hmm. in that I love you stage is also work. I mean, it's not going to lie. In a good working relationship, it takes work. Um, and it, and it, that's where you know that it's actually worth it. You know, if it comes too easy, you always question, like, why is this so easy? But yeah. But thank you for sharing those things I, with us. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so one, another thing that I love to ask is because you work with words all day. And, you know, we're, we're, you're saying them and you're saying in different, light, you know, accents and stuff like that. What's your favorite word aside from fair curse word? Because that's the second part of this question. Ah, oh, favorite word. Gosh, there's so many. I thought you were going to ask me what word, uh, like, did I say wrong that I didn't learn until I became a narrator? <laughs> there's been plenty of those. I, I might add that one to my list of questions for later on, but I can answer that one right now. I don't know what my favorite, I'd have to get back to you on my favorite word, but I was, what popped into my head was for years. And I feel so stupid about this, but for years when I was reading, I would see C H A O S and I thought it was chaos. And then I realized somewhere along the line that it was chaos, but I literally in my head for years thought it was chaos. I thought it meant the same thing as chaos. I just thought chaos was spelled a different way. But how embarrassing is that? No. Well, <laughs> it's it's interesting sometimes when we don't see words come across our, you know, our paths and in different ways and things like that. I'm always constantly having to double check because I'm bilingual. Um, I'm always like, okay, am I saying it in the pronunciation I would if it was a Spanish word or where I'm, it's more phonetic and it, each letter stays with its true meaning or we're doing the English version where the the you know ph sounds like an f in case unless there's this or that right. other fun things so but yeah and, and, and where the emphasis is on a word sometimes oh gosh mm -hmm. yeah everybody's different it's chaos different. yeah chaos in here <laughs> yes <laughs> well before we go tell us what you're currently working on that you can share and what's coming up next for you um i got a few things coming up i'm super excited about um the first one, it's called Mysteria by Cameo Renee, and it was produced by um, Jacqueline Protho, uh, The Audio Flow. And it's a modern day fairy tale that has a multicast of um, over 20 people in it. And I was lucky enough to be cast in one of the leading roles of Oriana, a magical nymph. So that's super fun. That should be out like any day now. Um, I also did a new... For me, um, Cozy Mystery, uh, it's called Bang to Remember by L. Wren Burke. She's one that I went after and finessed into working with me. It's a paranormal vampire cozy mystery featuring a disabled leading character who is a vampire in a wheelchair. And the way she explains it is so smart because if she's a vampire, she should be able to heal herself, right? As well, we know the legends, yes. You're going to have to hear the book to figure or to hear how she manages to make this a reality because it's awesome. Okay. Um, I also have Lockdown, which is by Sarah Driscoll, produced by Dreamscape Media. NYPD Negotiators Book Three, which is a mystery thriller. Um, it's a school shooting lockdown with the negotiating, rescuing the hostage or rescuing hostage situation. So as you can see, I do a I do a a range of different kind of books and I love it. Those three should be out anytime. Um, and I have coming up, I have moments of malevolence 
by T.L. Smith, which is produced by Podium, which is a spicy, dark romance, dark villain and an independent, sassy uh, lady. And that's co-narrated with Corvin King, who I've not worked before with before, but who seems delightful. Then I'm um, doing book six in the Silver Spoon MC series called The Lawyer by Nicole Rose, who is a fabulous writer. Um, and I'm that's for Tantor Media and co-narrated with Tyler Darby. And then I'm also looking forward to uh, another book in the psychological thriller genre called She Knows Too Much by Kamala, Pamela Crane. And that's produced by Orange Sky audio slash Spotify co-narrated with Leslie Howard and Phaedra Easton. And what's fun about this particular book is there's a bunch of flashbacks to the eighties and just the references are super fun. And then I have all my cozy mystery series that are ongoing. I work with Amanda M. Lee, uh, Lily Harper Hart, Leanne Leeds, Abigail Lynn Thornton, Tegan Marr. And I actually just got, while we were talking, I got a request from Annabelle Chase, whom I love, her series, asking about um, another book in her series. So I've got plenty of cozy mysteries if you're into if you're into them. Yeah, no, for There's sure. So just a couple things in the pipeline. Just a pad. <laughs> I, I like to stay busy. Like I said, I've got more than that, but those are the ones I'm going to mention for now, just because I'm super excited about all of them. Yeah. The other thing too, I'm super excited for you about is your mentoring that you're doing. Tell us a little bit about that as far as where people can find you, um, what kind or if there's a specific type of, of topics that you guys, that you focus on or what does it all include? Um, I started the mentoring because I, I, I do have a lot of um, business knowledge that I've learned, um, best practices, stuff like that. And I do, I called it mentoring instead of coaching because where I will review your material, I think there are better um, coaches out there for performance coaching, but what I can bring to the table and you can go to my website, which is megankelly.org, M-E-G-H-A-N-K-E-L-L-Y.org and click on the mentoring portion. And basically I, I have 10 years of experience. I can share the knowledge and insight um, on how to tackle the audiobook industry. Things like how to pick a good royalty share title, how to approach an author cold. When is it the right time to uh, submit to publishing houses? Do you need help picking samples? How about picking a good performance coach or finding a tech person to work on your setup? These are all things that I can help with. That's fantastic. Among yeah. other things. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that hits a lot of different scenarios and, um, and people in different, you know, times in their careers. So that's always good. Um, and it's great that you have that venue for, you know, narratives that have the questions. And that's the thing I've worked with beginners and I've worked with seasoned narrators and helped help them to understand different aspects of the business or get into areas they didn't know how to. Yeah. And I like helping. So once I start helping you, I can help anytime. I, it, the mentoring doesn't stop. Yeah. Cause you build those relationships and it's just great to be able to 
still be able to say, hey, quick question and stuff like that, or book another session and say, hey, yeah. I loved it so much. Let's talk about this. You know, I need more help with the same thing. Or, hey, this made me think about that. Can we talk about it? I want to book some time and go from there. That's always acceptable, too. <laughs> well, thank you so much thank for taking so much. the time to hanging out with me today. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Absolutely. If you're not following her on social media, I will be including all of the links where you can find them. So don't worry about having to search for them. They will be over at the episodes post at BBM Enchantress of Books. And until next time, happy listening. Thank you to all of our audiobook loving podcast Patreon. Special thanks to Brittany Robinette Leiter, Brandy Schmidt, April Branson. The audiobook loving podcast has special Patreon access levels. Join today to receive benefits including early access to episodes, shoutouts, special exclusive content, and much more. Support the podcast by becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash audiobookloving. We thank you for your support. Thank you for joining us on the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast, hosted by Viviana Enchantress of Books. For links and more information discussed in today's episode, previous podcasts, or the Audiobook Lovin' series, please visit our website, vivianaenchantressofbooks.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a positive review wherever you listen to our podcast. Until next time, happy listening. <laughs>